Welcome to Ebenezer Baptist Church on December 1st, 2012. Today's message is titled, Singing with Isaiah with, by Pastor Ryan Cochran and based on scripture, Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 to 10. Would you please stand and take your bulletins with me and join me in our call to worship? This responsive reading from Luke chapter 2. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. You may be seated. Let's pray together. God, it has been good today to be here together with your people and with you. And I pray, God, that you would continue to speak to us now through your word. Amen. May the Lord be with you. The book of Isaiah uh, contains some of the richest and most beloved language about the Christmas season that we know in the church. Uh, many of the words that we hear read, many of the, the words that we sing, many of the words that we recite together at times during the Christmas season, many of the words come from the prophet Isaiah. For example, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and we will call him Emmanuel. It's from Isaiah. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the shadow of death, a light has dawned. This is Isaiah speaking. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Almighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. As I read those words, you probably maybe even want to sing those words, right? These are familiar words to us that we hear often at the Christmas season. If you have grown up in the church and have been a part of the church, or even if you uh, just show up at church during Christmas time, you have no doubt heard many of these verses from Isaiah. But even though we're very familiar with some of these passages from Isaiah that we hear at Christmas, uh, the most of the rest of the book of Isaiah is probably a mystery to you. The book is 66 chapters long. Besides the book of Psalms, it is the longest book in the Bible. And I suspect that 
most of you are probably pretty unfamiliar with it outside of maybe some of these more familiar passages. And it's a difficult book to understand. Even among Old Testament biblical scholars, uh, it is a famously difficult book to understand and to interpret. Like many of the Old Testament prophets, Isaiah is filled with images and metaphors that we maybe don't understand. Uh, Isaiah speaks about uh, God's judgment coming on nations that we maybe have never even heard of, uh, let, a, let alone know why God was bringing their judgment on them or know anything about their life and culture. It's a difficult book to understand. The passage that we're looking at today from Isaiah chapter 11 is probably one that you've heard before. But before diving into Isaiah chapter 11, um, I want to give you a little bit of uh, the historical context that Isaiah is speaking into. I think I just saw about 150 eyes kind of glaze over when I said historical context, but uh, stay with me, stay with me, because the historical moment of Isaiah's song is important. What's happening in the life of Israel during this time and the song that Isaiah sings about Israel's hope speaks to us today about what our hope should be. So I am going to give you a short history lesson, but I'm not giving it to you just so that you can know a little bit more about history or know a little bit more about Isaiah, although that's good for you to know. The reason I'm giving you this historical background is that the historical moment of Isaiah's song is important as we listen to his message of hope that he gives to us today. Isaiah was called into the prophetic ministry in the year 742 B.C., 742 years approximately before Jesus was born. And when he was called into the ministry, Israel, uh, for a season, for uh, about 100 years, had really experienced, for the most part, a time of political and economic stability. Uh, things were going pretty well, economically and politically, not so much spiritually, as we'll see, uh, but things were pretty stable. But there was a threat that was coming. The nation of Assyria was growing stronger and stronger and was beginning to threaten Israel. In the year 740, just two years after Isaiah received his call into the prophetic ministry, Assyria began their military campaigns against Israel. And these campaigns continued off and on for the next 18 years until the year 722 when Assyria conquered the northern kingdom of Israel. And much of Isaiah's prophetic ministry was a warning to Israel about God's judgment that was coming on them because of their unfaithfulness and the warning that, that God was using this nation of Assyria as a tool of judgment in their life. In the life of Israel, in 742, when Isaiah was called into ministry, it was a time of calm before the storm. Israel knew, perhaps, that the storm was coming. They had heard rumors about this nation of Assyria that had conquered other nations and that were getting closer and closer. They knew that the time of peace and stability that they had enjoyed may be coming to an end. And in chapters 8 through 10, immediately preceding chapter 11 that we're looking at today, in chapters 8 through 10, Isaiah names Israel's fears. He tells them that what they fear 
is going to happen. Assyria is going to conquer them. The storm is coming. The comfort and security that they had experienced for a long time was coming to an end. I wonder if there are some of you who feel like you may be in a similar situation today. Are there some of you who may feel that a storm may be coming? Maybe you feel that way when you reflect on our uh, global or national political or economic situation. The United States and Canada have for a long time enjoyed a season of comfort and security. In our lifetimes, we have enjoyed a time of comfort and prosperity that's really been unknown throughout the history of the world. But you don't have to listen to the news for very long to hear words of warning that this time of comfort and prosperity may not last much longer. We know that countries like Greece and Portugal and other countries in Europe have faced significant challenges as their economies have collapsed, um, as they are uh, crushed by public debt. The United States is facing similar problems that will likely get worse in the years to come. We have now this even new phrase, this new language uh, that we probably didn't have maybe even as little as a month ago, fiscal cliff. Right? If you listen to the news or read the newspapers, this is a new phrase that we hear all the time now, fiscal cliff. It was something we'd never heard of even just a month or two before. Now it seems that Canada's leadership has been more responsible with their economic policies over the years, but everyone knows that Canada's political and economic well-being is tied closely to our neighbor to the south. So in this way, maybe it seems to some of you that this season of comfort and security may not last much longer. And you might be wondering if a storm is coming. Or maybe you think about that in relation to our church. Ebenezer has had many years of stability. Our church has been blessed by God with a season of prosperity. Our church has been in a good financial position Unlike many churches in our city that have had to close their doors, who are wondering how to keep the lights on, or wondering how they're going to pay their staff, these are questions that we haven't had to ask ourselves. And not only that, but we've been able to be a financial blessing to other ministries, to our North American Baptist Conference, to to missionaries. Our church has been able to be a blessing in this way. But there are some things that that suggest that this season of stability may not continue forever that there may be a season of storms ahead of us. Comfort and stability may not be the way that we describe the road ahead of us. Or maybe you feel like this is true in your own life. Maybe your own personal life has been stable and secure in recent times, but you see maybe ahead of you a storm coming. The reality of your old age, reality of sickness for you or for a loved one, the reality of maybe financial struggles that you see coming along, whatever it may be. For some of you this morning, you may feel as if there is a storm ahead of you. This was definitely Israel's position in 742 when Isaiah began to preach. 
It enjoys, enjoyed a season of stability, of good economic times, of peace, but the Assyrians were knocking on the door. A storm was coming. And in chapters 8 through 10, Isaiah patiently, painfully, and thoroughly describes the storm that is coming. Talks about God's plan of judgment on Israel at the hands of the Assyrians. Speaks about how Israel had worshipped idols, had not been faithful. Their leadership had led them down the wrong path. They were abusing the poor. They were not caring for the orphan and widow. They were not following the law of God. Because of that, for them, they were about to experience God's judgment. And Isaiah carefully attends to what that's going to look like in these chapters. They are painful chapters to read. In chapter 9, God describes Israel as a forest that's going to be burnt to the ground. While now they may look like a healthy forest with lots of life and energy and vitality, soon Israel will be leveled to the ground like a forest fire. Chapter 9, verses 18 through 19 says, The wickedness of Israel burns like a fire. It consumes briars and thorns. It sets the forest ablaze so that it rolls upward in a column of smoke. By the wrath of the Lord Almighty, the land will be scorched. Forest burnt to the ground. This is one of the images that Isaiah gives for what Israel will be like. And then chapter 11, verse 1. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. When Katie and I moved out to Vancouver, we, uh, we took about 10 days to drive across the country and to visit some of the different national parks and sites uh, between Indiana and Vancouver, and we spent three days in Yellowstone National Park. And one day we decided that we were going to take a hike out to this waterfall. The brochure uh, told us that this uh, waterfall is a great place to go, and so uh, we took out and set out for this walk. As we were walking, as we kind of turned the corner, we realized that the direction that we were going, that there was a large stretch of land that had very obviously experienced a forest fire uh, just a few years earlier. And as we continued along the trail, we could see the reminders of the forest fire all along the way, charred branches and roots and stumps all along the ground. But all along, as we saw the evidence of the reality of the fire, we also saw signs of life. Plants, shoots shooting up from the ground since the fire. They weren't very big, and they certainly didn't provide us with shade as we were walking, as some of the other forests in that area did. But life was there, coming out of the charred remains of that, from that forest fire. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From the roots, a branch will bear fruit. Isaiah promised Israel that they would experience the fire of God's judgment. Once a healthy forest, they were now going to be burnt to the ground and left like a lifeless stump in the ground. But out of this dead stump, this lifeless and unfruitful tree will grow a shoot that will bear fruit. After the warning of judgment, after a warning that a storm is coming, Isaiah promises that after that season of judgment, God will not forget his people. 
God still has a plan for Israel. Out of this dead stump, God is going to bring the Messiah who will establish the kingdom of God. And so Isaiah sings a song about his vision of the kingdom of God. He sings a song about the coming Messiah who will be filled with the Spirit and who will turn our upside-down world right side up. Israel, do not forget that you are God's chosen people and that through you, a dead, lifeless stump, God is going to bring life. A shoot will come up. You will bear fruit. The Messiah will come and will establish his reign on the earth. This is Israel's hope, and Isaiah sings a song about it. This is our hope as God's church. This could be the hope of the whole world for those who have ears to hear this message of Advent. This vision that Isaiah gives to us of the Messiah who will come and establish the kingdom of God is a beautiful vision of a rightly ordered world. The promise of the coming Messiah is that when he establishes his rule, that relationships between human beings will be based on righteousness and justice. Those who are needy will get what they need. Those who are treated unjustly will receive justice. Those who are poor will no longer be taken advantage of by the rich. The vision for human life that Isaiah gives is a a political system, a community that does what it's supposed to do. Human relationships that will be lived in peace together and in cooperation rather than in competition. And Isaiah, with his vision, doesn't stop with just our human relationships. He goes beyond that and says that it won't only be rightly ordered human relationships, but all creation will enjoy the peace that comes from the Messiah. Isaiah goes so far to say that the animal kingdom will enjoy the peace that comes from the Messiah. We have these images of the wolf and the lamb and the lion and the bear and the child and the snake living in peace together. In these verses, we're reminded of the disharmony that the fall of humanity created that we read about in Genesis chapter 3. When sin came into the world, disharmony and death came into every part of our worldly existence, not only in our own lives, not only in our relationships, but also in the the rest of the created world as well. Turn with me to Romans chapter 8, and Paul uh, speaks about this death that has come to the created world and the promise of life that comes through the Messiah. I'm going to read Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 24. In these verses, Paul tells us that the whole creation right now is waiting in great anticipation for God to bring about his purposes. Verse 18, Paul writes, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning 
as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoptions as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. Suggest to you that Isaiah chapter 11 is the vision, the picture of Paul's teaching in Romans chapter 8. God will restore order and peace to human relationships, and he will restore order and peace to his whole creation when he comes and he establishes his kingdom on the earth. This is our Christian hope, and it is the hope of Advent. At Advent, we anticipate celebrating Christmas, the the first coming, the first Advent of Christ into the world. And during this time, we also remember and hope and anticipate Christ's second coming, where he will finally and completely come and establish his reign on the earth. This is our hope. I want to ask you today, how often, if at all, Do you find yourself dreaming, meditating, hoping for the kingdom of God that is described in Isaiah chapter 11? When you think about your preferred future of your life, when you think about the good life, does it have anything at all to do with the Messiah coming to establish his reign on the earth? When you think about your future, when you dream about what it, be, what it will be like, does Christ's second coming, does Christ's kingdom receive your thoughts and your meditation and your hope? As you think about the storms that may be coming in your life, whether that be uh, uh, economic and political, whether that might be in our church, whether that be in your own life, where is your hope in these things? Where is your anchor for your soul? Is it Christ and the hope of his return, or is it something else? As you imagine your future, as you look forward into your life and imagine your vision of the good life, whatever that might be, it seems to me that we too often hold on and hope for something or someone else, and that Christ and his coming is really not what fills our imagination for our hope for the future. Does your vision of your future include Christ, his coming, his kingdom? Or maybe you're, like many people, you're hoping for maybe the the right candidate and the right government to come in place that will make sure that our future will be secure. Or only maybe if you make the right financial investment, if you will pick the right mutual funds, if you will set up the right accounts, then your future will be set. Does your vision of your future include Christ, his coming and his kingdom? Is his coming your hope? Are you singing the same song that Isaiah is singing? Here's the truth. How we act today is a reflection of what we hope for in the future. And this is true in the big things in life as well as in the small things in life. When I was younger, probably 10 or 11 years old, I I really wanted this particular Nintendo game. It was a soccer game, and I really wanted it. And uh, my parents, being really good parents, said, yeah, sure, you can have it, but you've got to pay for it yourself. 
So what did I do as an 11-year-old boy? I started doing some extra work. I don't remember what it was. Maybe I washed my dad's car or uh, raked some leaves. I don't remember. I do remember selling some baseball cards. And I put my money in a jar and waited until I had enough to receive what I hoped for. My actions in that present were ordered toward attaining what I hoped for. All of us have a desired future for our life. We have some vision of our life, some vision uh, maybe for a particular aspect of our life, for what we hope for, and we shape our actions today in the present to move toward what we hope for. Every year, Katie and I uh, look forward to being able to go home to Indiana at Christmas to spend some time with our family. So throughout the year, we order our finances so that we may do that, so that we may receive what we hope for. People want to have a certain kind of retirement, so they order their life. They maybe do without some things in their 30s and 40s and 50s and 60s so that they can enjoy maybe some vision of retirement later. We shape and order our lives now. We act now in such a way that we can receive what we hope for. As Christians, we are called to be a people of hope called to live faithfully in our world, called to be a people whose lives are characterized by this hope in the second coming of Christ, in this vision of the kingdom of God that Isaiah gives to us, that our lives and actions would be ordered toward that hope. And so as we begin this Advent season, the question that God is asking us is this, what do you hope for? That is the question. Is your hope, is your vision of your future, is Christ and his coming a part of it at all? And if it's not, I encourage you during this Advent season to begin to meditate and to think about and to allow Isaiah's vision of the kingdom of God to become your hope. That is the question. And the challenge that God has for us is this. Does your life conform to the hope described in Isaiah. Is your life ordered toward this vision of the kingdom of God? With the possibility, maybe, of storms that are ahead of you in your life, what are you holding on to? What is your anchor? Are you singing the same song that Isaiah is singing? Is your life in tune with this vision? The Messiah is coming. In Isaiah's song, he gives us a vision of this good life that is coming, this vision of the kingdom of God. And I love verse 10. I almost cried earlier when Brendan read it for us. Isaiah 11.10. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him, and his place of rest will be glorious. Messiah is coming. Isn't that a great image? That he will be a banner and the nations will come to him. All of those who are willing to receive and to enter into this kingdom will enjoy these benefits described in Isaiah. The benefits of this reordered world. This is the vision of the good life that is before us. And it is a gift. Uh, Like the Nintendo game, it cannot be bought. Um, It is a gift. 
when Jesus talks about his kingdom, he does not use words about earning or buying. Instead, he talks about the kingdom being something that we receive or enter into. This vision of the kingdom of God is a gift that we receive. We cannot make Christ return. He will come. He will establish his reign. This will happen. It is a promised gift to us who love him and are his people. It is a gift that we hope and long for. And as we do with all of our hopes in our life, we live now in such a way that we will be able to receive this kingdom when it comes. We are called now to order our lives toward this hope, to prepare ourselves to be able to see the kingdom and to be able and ready to enter into it when it comes. Right now, the challenge for us is this, to make every effort to be sure that our lives are in tune with Isaiah's song. To live now under Christ's rule in our own life so that when Christ comes and establishes his rule in the world, that we will recognize it and will be ready to receive it. This Advent season, let's ask ourselves if Isaiah's vision of the good life, if Isaiah's vision of Christ's second coming if that is truly our ultimate hope? Or have your, the desires of your heart wandered off so that you place your hope in something else? And may we also receive the challenge of this Advent season and ask whether our life is in tune with the, the songs of Isaiah and Mary and Zechariah and the angels. These men and women and the angels sang songs from their hearts about their hope of seeing the kingdom of the Messiah that would come. Are we hoping for this? And are are our lives ordered in such a way that we'll be ready to receive it? Let's pray. Lord, we do confess to you today that often the hope of your second coming is very far away from our imaginations, very far away from our hopes and dreams. Lord, we have all other kinds of visions for our good life. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us for not seeing that our ultimate hope is in you. Lord, have mercy on us. Lord, we give you thanks today that you will not forget your people and that though we may suffer, we may be going through a storm that real life can come from you. 
Lord, I pray that our lives would be filled with this hope in the second coming of Christ, and that now that you would teach us by your Spirit to order our lives in such a way that we will be ready to receive your kingdom when it comes. I invite you into a time of silence as we think and reflect on this call and this hope and ask that God would speak to you in whatever area he needs to speak to you about this hope that we have.